0: It is July the fourteenth, twenty twenty-two. I'm Chris, and this is Curiously Polar. Look who's back! Say something for the people. Hello, who listen. <laughs> Henry, the Lost Son is back. I'm very happy to to be talking to you right now. Um, you've been. I'm happy as well. Yeah, you've been somewhere.
1: Where yeah, i have been been gone tell us a bit, uh, a while. Um, I got the opportunity to um, work as expedition leader on uh, Le Commandant Charcot, which is a French-flagged icebreaker, mm. uh, first hybrid LNG uh, marine diesel fuel icebreaker. And that's a terrific ship, beautiful platform to work at. And when I got the inquiry um, to start the Arctic season, which is its first Arctic season with uh, guests... That was, uh, so it's a
0: new, it's a fair, it's a pretty new ship.
1: Yeah, got uh, put into service last September, September twenty one, okay. and it reached the the North Pole as an ice trial, and was highly celebrated because it was the first French flagship that ever reached the North Pole. So uh, it was, uh, of course, um, with the French uh, pride. The French for, pride, yes, exactly. Wee wee. That that was a was a big thing with the two most experienced um, captains for the polar regions at the helm, um, Captain Garcia and Captain Marshall saw, and that was highly celebrated. And yeah, I got asked after the Antarctic season to join, to uh, start the Arctic season in East Greenland, and um, I couldn't say no, that was just really something. If if you're a, a polar nerd as I am, and an ice nerd as I am, then there is no other opportunity that, that, that's similar to that. So it's, really, it's
0: one of the things that's very hard to say no to. Yeah,
1: it, it's yeah. unrivaled and um was easy for me to say, okay, I would love to give it a try. And then I got the information, yeah, season starts end of April. I was like, end of April, East Greenland. Has everyone ever been there before by ship? And obviously not. so <laughs> Because you have plenty of sea eyes. <laughs> Mm.
0: Um, oh, but this is an icebreaker, so it gets, absolutely,
1: uh, absolutely. So that's where where the ship uh, really plays out its um, advantages. It's a new experience. Wow! But still, no one has been there at um, that part of the season. So we talked a lot to to locals in uh, Trasylak and uh, Itokotomit, and both were very, very sceptical. So both uh, locations were just like, okay, there's no chance you can reach that uh, that destination. And it took us actually uh, quite some time and some efforts. Um, Was it more like
0: going down a path and then backtracing and trying a different one, that kind of stuff? Yes, yes. So
1: working on an icebreaker, uh, for me, just unveiled, it's a a very different work than um, expedition ships. Expedition cruise ships, you, you... I'm, not a little, I'm a little bit unfair now, but it's, it's a little bit like bus driving. You have a schedule, uh, you have a landing <laughs> sites, and if the weather is not cooperative, then you choose different landing sites, but you know where yeah. you're going to. And even if you don't um, know the particular landing site, you know the area. With the icebreaker, there are no landing sites. You are in the ice. In sea ice and <laughs> oh, the ice the <laughs> exactly, and the and the sea ice conditions uh, in East Greenland were very very challenging this uh, Arctic season, or still are. Um, we have a lot of polar ice which came down there, so we were expecting um, the regular sea ice in East Greenland. But what came down was multi-year polar ice, and I I thought I knew about sea ice. And I stood on that bridge of uh, Charcot and. We we went very slowly through ice and when you break it, it just flips over and you see the thickness. You get an idea of the thickness and what the ice looks like. And we had, and I'm not exaggerating here, six meter thick ice <gasps> and it was crystal blue. I've never seen so- blue sea ice before. So you so, have so one,
0: the, the, like like the size of some icebergs, but not icebergs, but sea ice.
1: Ab- absolutely, and you have like wow. a, a classical um, distinguishing uh, on on uh, expedition ships is you distinguish white ice from blue ice because blue ice is considered glacial ice, and you don't want to touch that. White ice, if you can push it and you touch the, the hull, it's no problem. White so, ice has
0: more more air included, right?
1: Exactly, it's less dense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you just go through that sea ice and the the surface is white but then you see literally four five six meters of blue crystal blue ice you just think oh my god it looks like glacial ice (laughs) we're sure there's no glaciers (laughs) somewhere close by and it, it took us a while to to really go through that um cutting through that or like ramming through it takes a lot of effort and we have to for, for that particular ship rethink the way we are actually selling trips uh, advertising trips but also uh, we have to rethink how we operate the trips with guests on board because guests obviously buy a trip with a certain destination in mind Yeah, we have for example itineraries like in the beginning of the season the first trip had both places Tassilak and Idokotomit um, in, uh, in the itinerary and people have, who are booked on charco. They are usually um, very avid travellers, so they have been in the area before. So they want to just see those places in a different time of a year. So they have an expectation
0: that you that you might not be able to fulfil.
1: No, they actually have the expectation to see those places. That's what I mean.
0: But you, but you as the as the provider, uh, might not be able to get there because of but that was something.
1: That, yeah, that really just struck us as a lightning um, because of the conditions. It took us so much yeah. longer to reach certain destinations that we needed to stay in a, in a, in a very close area. Um, we had uh, <laughs> um, a place, a Cape, close to uh, Scoresby Sound, through the opening of Scoresby Sound, um, mm-hmm. north of it at Liverpool, and, um, which we just renamed into um, the inaccessible Cape because we... <laughs> We just had a look um, at the satellite pictures, and um, we, we use uh, drift uh, ICC from Drift Noise. Uh, drift Noise is a, uh, a spin off from Alfred Wegener Institute that provides a software where you can um, get access to a drift forecast for ice, but you also get concentration, a sea ice concentration, and you get satellite pictures laid over the map so you get really um, up-to-date pictures and uh, ideas of how the sea ice develops and we were looking at all those information and we just saw a humongously large fast ice area on the coast and the place where it was the the smallest was on that cape and uh, there was uh, fast ice of roughly a mile and then there was another mile of, um, of this polar ice coming down and the polar ice was so dense and so rucked, yeah, a lot of um, hummocks and pressure ridges, which makes it impossible to do some activities on the ice because you, you have no visibility for uh, polar bears and those pressure it's ridges. It's dangerous. It's very it's dangerous. It's very dangerous, yeah. 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 It's dangerous for a number of times. So first of all, those pressure ridges and hummocks um, might have just holes um, going into the water because that's actually where seals are hiding. But because seals are hiding, that's also a playground for polar bears because that's where they get their food. And if you're down on the ground, and we had the situation where we just decided, okay, we're not going any further because going through those um, ice conditions, that took us roughly six hours to go a mile, just one mile, six hours. And it was, what was it, uh, 17 rammings? So uh, you just wow. go in with a ship. And then you reach a point where um, where it's impossible. So you back up and then you just um, take another run and you just go into the same area. And we did that 17 times and we just made one mile in those six hours. And then we just decided we have to stop. It's just not worth the effort because you, your consumption just goes up.
0: How uh, dangerous the, is it to get iced in because you have ice behind you closing? No. I
1: guess that, that's not a problem. It. It's not really a problem because that particular icebreaker has much higher capabilities um astern. So the Oh I see. Okay. Le, le Commandant Chaco has two AziPots, um, and each Azipot has a six diameter uh, propeller with seventeen megawatt of of power. <laughs> okay. Seventeen megawatt each. Okay. So I we think had in, some... I think in kilowatts, uh, okay. <laughs> So we we had some some uh, situations where we uh, decided to reverse and and go astern because then the propellers are not propulsion in, in the terms of pushing but they're actually crushers they're just like like a blender you have in the kitchen when you crush oh, ice. <laughs> So you use them to just go there and just um, crush the ice and push it outside, so you just work up there.
0: Anyone need crushed ice let's just reverse for a minute
1: <laughs> absolutely and the the idea is there that the so y- you can break ice going um, going forward just by going onto the ice, and then the sheer weight of the ship just uh, breaks the ice, but if that doesn't work anymore because the ice is too too dense or too thick then you go astern and astern that in theory or technically um, you can cut through 15 meter thick pressure ridges wow. so th- this gives you an idea how powerful the ship and and those azipods are and when you just get stuck in a um in a situation where ice is just closing in we had that actually on on one landing site where we were out with guests for a couple of hours and then um the, the current just pushed the ice in then you just obviously go astern and cut through, and uh, it takes a while. It's not the most comfortable way of traveling, but you get through. So the ship, because of its nature of being an icebreaker, needs to have um, a safe return to port um, mm-hmm. function, and that means it needs to have double redundancy systems. So the systems are not only once or twice on board, but uh, three, four times. that um, also means that it needs to be capable to um rescue itself to to a very high degree, and that makes someone, it. Someone once told
0: me when you buy a big um a big a jeep or something that's the kind of vehicle that will break down in a location where the tow truck doesn't get to. and that is pretty much the same situation. There is no tow truck exactly. for an yeah. icebreaker,
1: yes. And when you consider going to the North Pole, there, there is no search and rescue capability. So you have to have um, that capability uh, on board. And I remember we had an episode, I think two years ago, when, when the project came up the first time in 2019, I think, um, that the two of us, we talked about that here on the show, about the, the, the difficulties or the danger of not being able to manage an emergency yourself Mm. and now being able to uh, have have worked on that ship is just really uh, an eye opener of um how diligent you have to prepare trips how, mm. how 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 intense you really have to think what could go wrong and there are so many uh, variables here which have been considered um the the rescue kits the rescue procedures all of that has been custom written for that ship, for the purpose of that ship, for the areas going um going to. But then also the ship gives you the possibility to go to places where no other ship can go at that time of the year. Mm. So for us, this Cape Um of in accessibility, we tried on three trips. So we tried it three times and we didn't made it on one of them. And that's one of those points when you have to just be very honest to the guests and just say, um, technically, we can manage to go there. It will take two more days. So the question is, is it worth it? Does it make much sense to burn like triple, four, uh, quadruple amounts of fuel just to go to that spot to have that landing? Does it make sense to stay three days at one spot to make that one particular landing Or do we decide to leave that place and do some activities in the ice?
0: So you'll have to be prepared to have some discussions with the guests and involve them in the planning process in some way. And you also have to be prepared to I would say entertain them while you are at sea for longer, right?
1: Yes. So the onboard uh, programming, the onboard program, is really a completely different um, topic compared and, to a. And you have approaches. a lot of
0: things up your sleeve. I mean, this is how I yes. how I have, how I know you with like there's so many different topics that you have uh, lectures prepared about, and you can it, there's almost nothing out there that you cannot
1: discuss that you do not have some toe in the water of. So, and the other thing is also, you know, when you learn on uh, regular expedition cruise ships, you you have kind of a of a schedule, right? You do a morning operation, you do an afternoon operation. If you have a C day or half a C day, you do your lectures, you do bar talks or recaps or whatever you want to call that. Yeah, you, know, you have a um, kind of a, a, a standard photography program. session, photography or session, workshop, very exactly important. But then on Charcot on the Icebreaker. Things are changing by
0: the minute. So, how big is for it? me, just a quick question in the middle: um, How many people? How many guests are
1: on board? So, it is capable of getting two hundred and fifty guests. Um That's sizable, we, yeah. In, in the polar regions, we aim for um, two hundred. So, to to stay in that um, category one ship, which means that you are able to to book in uh, in Antarctica most of the landing sites. Mm-hmm. With Category 2, you have limitations, and Category 2 also means you have to have different um, disembarkation procedures uh, that just takes m- much longer time, and that's something to, to consider, uh, obviously, yeah. as well. Um, it has, I think, 150 crew at the same time. And we were operating with an expedition team between sixteen and twenty-three. So that was the the mm-hmm. range we, we covered there. Okay. So if you have a day in, in the in, in the ice, or just let's say things are not going according to plan and you suddenly have three, four days in the ice, then you have to keep the expedition team busy. You have to keep the guests busy because as exciting it is to go to the ice it gets very quickly boring unless you're really an ice nerd, and mm-hmm. I stand on the bridge um, after one and a half months and still can't get enough of just seeing those ice yeah, flows just rolling over. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That's what I say. Um, but if you're not, if you're just um, just in uh, in um, brackets uh, a, a tourist who wants to see places, then. It gets very quickly uh, monotonous when you go through the ice. And it can become uncomfortable if you have to do the ramming, because then you have quite some vibrations going through the ship. It's not the noise, the ship is incredibly quiet, but it's the vibrations that really um, can, can become or come to a point where it's. Hybrid ship there. means it
0: does generate electricity and then has electric um, motors, right?
1: Yeah. So the other Azipots have um, each Azipot has two electrical engines. Mm. So we we um, have the engines all outside the ship. The Azipots are hanging uh, below the um, the stern.
0: Oh it's, it's install- like sh- is it like is it like uh the 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 jet turbines hanging outside of a wing and an airplane pretty much
1: yes yes exactly so that also gives us the possibility that each azipot can uh just rotate 360 degrees so you're very very uh, maneuverable it's a very oh, great wow. okay very great uh, thing but it also gives you a lot of space um on board so we have uh six generators if i remember correctly and those generators have two fuel sources um, one is marine diesel oil, and the other one is uh, LNG, liquid nat- uh, natural gas. Um, we have battery packs on board, which give us the the possibility, the, the theoretical possibility, to run the ship on batteries for about thirty minutes. But the idea of the batteries is not so much to uh, run the ship autonomous for thirty minutes, but to give us less likelihood of blackouts. So if something uh, like a like a power spike happens on board of a ship because you can't do an operation. So everyone just goes to their cabin and switches on their, uh, <laughs> the television, but at the same time the the, the water kettle and plugs in the camera and whatnot, then you have a power spike. Those, and those batteries that, are
0: buffers pretty much. They smoothen exactly. out the load on the ship,
1: yeah. Yes, and on on some ships, on particularly on the older ships, that leads very quickly to um to a blackout because then the system has an overload and can't cope uh, with such a high request in a short amount of time. So the batteries. I've I've only
0: been on very small ships compared to that, so there there was never (laughs) a problem. The electricity was never a problem in those, but I can imagine two hundred people. Starting the hairdryer at the same time—that will change yeah. a few
1: things. We we had a, uh, a so I had a couple of, of blackouts in uh, in my career already, yeah. And when you are sailing in ice or around icebergs, it's right. getting tense very very quickly when you have a, a blackout on the ship. Um, but yeah, here we have the batteries um, as a kind of a buffer system in between, and that works very very well. So I'm I'm really really happy um, about that. But in general, just um, being able to operate in those areas means also it gives you the luxury of just putting the ship into the ice overnight. And when the ship is completely quiet in the ice overnight, then the wildlife is coming. And then you have polar bears uh, in the middle of the night just approaching the, the vessel and just really taking their time. And you are not following the bears, which you should not do in the first place. But... You actually, you're just sitting duck waiting for them to get curious enough. And they are incredibly curious. We had, I think, the best polar bear encounters I've ever had um, in in, in my career, just in those one and a half months. Um, Incredibly intense, uh, incredibly close, really, really great. We had some discussions with IECO, the Association of um, Arctic Expedition Cruise Operators. which uh, asked us not to publish certain pictures because it shows a bear ship interaction, which implies that the ship got too close to the wildlife, oh. which is not, which is not. um So we we're, we're not. It's supposed not to supposed to, do that.
0: to happen. Yeah,
1: exactly. um And it took us a while to explain to to our eco that we were literally uh, docked into an ice flow. So we went into, and when we talk about ice flow, people usually have like a five meter um, idea of an ice flow, but that ice flow was kilometers wide in diameter. I think it was um, six miles, nautical miles, times uh, five nautical miles. So it was a humongous piece of ice. And we just sat the ship in, uh, into into the ice, uh, into the ice flow, and we're drifting with that at about uh, five miles for, for about um, 12 hours. So the speed was also uh, quite something that surprised us, but when you sit in that ice flow, then polar bears are just passing by because they are the nomads of the Arctic. They're just um, on foot all the time. They're just walking, walking, walking. They're you roaming did, you around. You did bring
0: us some video. Should we play this while you talk?
1: Yes, yes, please. Well, who, who, who made this video? So on board, we have um, a dedicated photo and video team. Um, ah. The photographer was um, Morgan Monaret, and the videographer was uh, Camille Martin. So and this Camille is where did, uh, you
0: all have to switch to the video version of
1: this. Yeah, please come to YouTube and have a look at that, <laughs> because that is really outstanding footage. Um, Camille has an amazing eye and uh, did a terrific job here too. This is amazing uh, material, yeah. To, to really grasp the moment, I have no idea how she manages it, but she's always at the right place in the right time. That's and what we photographers do, that's our job. Absolutely. Yeah, but that's for, for me, um, um, I'm, I'm up and about um, as early as possible and as, as late as possible. So for me, it's really, uh, I'm always there or try to be always there. And I still have the feeling when I watch that movie, I missed like a couple of uh, occasions. But then you see um, in those pressure ridges just bears roaming around. And there are like yeah. really moments when when you can't really decide, do you want to go left or right? Because you have like three, four bears around. Um, we have here the opening of Scoresby Sound, um, frozen all in. Um, then just ice assessment, just going with a team first on the ice when the ship um, has stopped and just assessing how safe is the ice, how thick is it, does it make sense to get the guests out, is it safe enough or not. Um, Polar bear guards on board of the ship and on the ice. There's a lot of things to consider before guests are going out. Um, We have a helicopter on board, which is not for um, guest tours, but for for the sole purpose of um, search and rescue, so for our own rescue capabilities, but also for reconnaissance. So we are going out on average, I would say, once a day when we're in the ice to get a a better picture from the air, how the situation looks like. You can see here the ship sitting in the ice. Um, And also for navigational purposes. And when we're navigating in the ice, uh, you're in the helicopter, you just say, yeah, well, that's a very easy navigation. You just follow the lead between the Mm -hmm. ice floors there. And then you're back up on a bridge and you don't see the, the leads anymore. So that's when the helicopter comes in very handy and just really um pilots the ice uh the, the ship through the ice yeah. and then you have those very very close uh encounters of bears who get very curious and take the time when the ship is completely quiet sitting in there um to get as close as possible and they are really curious animals uh, that's just uh it's incredible
0: i can see that that was really that is really something wow
1: that's a really intense uh, ship. Uh, I've never been so tired on a ship before. And I've done uh, a couple of-
0: it's so much to do.
1: Yeah. It's just re- so many changes. Um, you can't really, you don't want to leave the bridge because A, it's very stunning. It's really great um, landscape to see. But at the same time, there's so many changes happening all the time, Anytime, Um You have the guest interaction. You have the team interaction. You have to coordinate uh, the entire team. But you have to have uh, an eye on the constant changes that are happening by the minute. And I've never had that on any other ship so intense like I had it on Charcot. So for me, that was a very tiring experience. But at the same time, a very rewarding experience. I've never had such close uh, wildlife encounters. I've never had so much ice. just amazing.
0: (laughs) I envy you just a little bit, just a tiny little bit. I wish... I could have I could have uh, been a stowaway and have my cameras with me and things
1: wow. I I wish I could have you on board that was just uh, <sighs> was was outstanding really.
0: No, congratulations that sounds like a trip of
1: a lifetime sort of. It it is. Um East Greenland has surprised me a, a lot. Um yeah, it just presented itself completely different from from what I know so going to places was just literally going there for the first time even though it wasn't the first time um was a big learning for everyone on board um also in terms of ice conditions of learning um about ice how ice works how ice um behaves how we behave around wildlife how we uh, affect and impact wildlife um a lot of things that were really there and
0: so. and i i i mean the the closest i have which is not even that close um of an experience to be somewhere at a different time of the year that i'm usually there was when the two of us were up in Norway in winter in february and that was um, on a ship that was kind of mind blowing because i knew that area quite well but from summer and being yeah. there in winter with very different weather were very different experiences um unexpected experiences cuz the cuz the team on board was wonderful so they gave us opportunities that were not even in the plan like uh going to scrova lighthouse and these kind of things oh, yes. which it's oh, just 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 so amazing to be able to do this yeah. on a spon- on a whim because well we're there and one of the guys on board has contacts there and he knows people and uh, gets the key and <laughs> used and used to be the lighthouse keeper himself for a few years, so it's yeah. like it's like okay, I'll I'll take that. That's experiences that you don't get anywhere else. So, yeah. um, but but being there at a but different those time. kind of, of year, things make the trip. Yeah, and the being there at a different time of year, but which is by the way, when I do photo tours, which I'm planning on ramping up again, um, that's kind of the thing that in the even with past photo tours. I have um, always the best memories, and people who wear on those tours always have the best memories of these unexpected things of yeah. things that that were not in the plan, but that turned out to be just so much better than uh, all the the stops by the book, so to speak. And um, so, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm working on doing some things um, that are, let's say, environmentally friendly uh, around Europe that uh, we, you can do within. EV that you can do with as minimum impact as possible. That's kind of the idea that I have right now. It's not
1: uh, it's, not well, too we much. I to pick there, up on but... that. <laughs> no, no, no. But uh, um, it's fascinating landscape and fascinating culture and and people, um, wildlife. There's so many things coming together. So I'm, I'm I'm not there just for the ice. But um, yeah, what we discussed um, before the show. There are so many um, factors that come in, and for me right now, I think as much as I love the ice. It does not need to be necessarily always ice. Right? We should we should start thinking about. I've I've for the longest time I've had this
0: inkling that I wanted to go somewhere east, like Eastern Europe, and that would be a good fit. I know someone I who lives there, and <laughs> I kindly invite you to Transylvania. It's a beautiful space in the east. how, how about a road trip from Germany through Czechia through Hungary, Vienna. To Slovenia. Romania, to Transylvania and yeah, uh, beautiful spots along the road. Go visit. And, I mean the Count destination Dracula, is amazing as well. <laughs> but, no, so so it's just that's just wild brain farts at this point. But um yeah, maybe 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 I'll find a couple of people who want to do that road trip with me and I'm and I'm sure that. there
1: are a couple of crazy people around to to join you in it. And um You yeah, don't even just, have to be that crazy to be honest. No. No, you just have to be um, two weeks open, of time. Two weeks of time. And and that's anyway. also what, what I learned on that ship is so the ship is mainly um attracting avid travellers who've been with the company on multiple trips already. And when I say multiple, I don't mean like uh two or three, four trips, but we have people who have been with that company for 38, 40 trips. So that's a, a lot of of experience so that they, they know also the area already they know the landscape but they come there because they want to see east greenland at a different time of the year in a completely different code yes and luckily the vast majority of people is very open to the changes that are happening um to the itinerary um they are very happy to the changes of um activities and as you said the the most memorable experiences are those you don't plan which are just happening and in the arctic it's very very different from antarctica in antarctica it's almost like a safari you know where Mm -hmm. the penguin rookeries are you know where the whales are feeding in the arctic it's so much more difficult to spot wildlife to actually explore wildlife of course, you also have some regularities, like you you know where where it's more likely to see certain whales. Um, and you have an idea where polar bears are around. And we knew we would see some polar bears along the ice edge in East Greenland. The amount we've seen there because of the capabilities of the ship has just blown everyone's mind. And that's just really something. Uh, we started a new citizen science project uh, on board, which is a polar bear log. Where we just um, started to take down uh, coordinates, uh, the shape of the bear, the conditions the bear's in, um, the presumed uh, gender, the um, behavior. How did the the bear behaved? How did it interact with the ship? What did we do? How long did we stay with the bear? And so on and so forth. And uh, we are currently talking to a couple of um, research institutes to to see how that can be uh, of use for them, because. Just from the very first trip, the amount of polar bears we saw was just mind-blowing, literally. It was just something totally unexpected. We thought about possibly a bear or two per trip, but when you're on a 10-day trip and you suddenly have like 22 bears around, it's just really something you can't grasp. It really is hard to say goodbye to that place and go back to Reykjavik to get a new group of guests. It's just really a goosebump moment after another.
0: Okay, that okay. Uh, we'll have to stop
1: this here, otherwise I'll.
0: Oh man! So yeah, you had quite an experience. Um,
1: and I'm going we'll... back in in August, end of August. I'm mm-hmm. um, uh, um, I'm taking the uh, ship to the last trip to the North Pole, so we're gonna reach the geographical North Pole, and after that, going from Reykjavik um, through South. Greenland into the Northwest Passage, and in the Northwest Passage all the way to Nome, we aim for the the very rarely used northern route, north of uh, Banks Island in the um, McLuhan Strait and McLintock Channel, and um, Melwood Sound, with that very same ship, um, because that's where the ice conditions are requiring uh, a proper there
0: is a there. reason that route is less the lesser used one.
1: Yes, absolutely, right. and I'm I'm just really looking forward for that. Um, Northwest Passage is just really something very very close to my heart. It's a very amazing um, place, so diverse in so many ways, and you, it, it doesn't matter how many times you travel the Northwest Passage, there are always new things to explore to see, and just being able to now go to a place where none of us has been before in that very. Northwest Passage is just something uh, absolutely amazing. I'm just really looking forward for that.
0: All right, I guess that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you, Henry, for, for giving us a report. This is um, yeah, this is okay. So nice <clears> to be back. <throat> I'm quite quite envious about these things. I, yeah, well. But I'm pretty sure we'll do some more travel together in one way or the other. That is at least the plan. So thanks, everyone. We are online at curiouslypolo.com. We'll be back soon. Until then, everyone.